You're listening to the Be Healthy Naturally podcast, episode number 61. We are Dr. Shane and Liz Watt. We are doing this podcast because we are trying to bring knowledge and education to create a new way of thinking about our health. Knowledge is the key to a happy, healthy life, and our goal is to help you live your best life. So join us and let's learn together. Dr. Toby Larson helps people going after audacious goals. For over a decade, he has helped people reach elite levels in multiple sports and professions. He blends his doctorate in performance psychology and master in kinesiology to educate people on how to show up when they want to and in the way they want to. He taught professional MMA fighters how to improve their calmness during the storm of combat, deal with the setbacks, more effectively and help them improve their practice habits. Welcome Dr. Toby Larson to the podcast. You you do something kind of different because you are you help people with the psychology and and mastering of helping them with their sports activities, isn't that right? Yeah, I essentially I help people really direct their attention and focus so that they're able to perform exactly as they want to whenever they want. So you've you got a doctorate, a PhD. So tell us a little bit about your, your schooling and your background. Yeah, absolutely. I went to, so I started out with an undergrad in mathematics, and I was a math teacher for about a decade. I also coached football, track, and golf during that time. I really, I love teaching. It's super fun to help people just expand their capabilities and capacity for whatever it is that they want to do. Math, on the other hand, is not really everybody's favorite subject. And as a math teacher, you're doing a bit more of the compulsory work than the um, true deep interest work with the students. And that's where the coaching really allowed me to see what truly motivated kids can look like and really helping people uh, go for more audacious goals and helping them uh, really watching them grow when you get to work with an athlete over their entire high school career, going from a freshman level to a senior level and seeing them graduate and then go off into college. uh, Being able to see that level of growth was just such a special part of that job. And I absolutely fell in love with the whole growth aspect. And that's why I decided after um, spending about a decade teaching, I decided to go back and get my master's degree in kinesiology as a way to continue on as a coach to make coaching more of a profession. My initial goal was to be a college golf coach and the NCAA at all levels only allows four coaches per team. Every team in the Bay area was already full. So there was no space for me to come in because if I came in, even as a volunteer, that would uh, eliminate their eligibility as a team. So no way to get in there. But actually, uh, during that time, I was in a prerequisite undergrad sports psychology course, and I read the textbook cover to cover in about a month and a half and realized that is what I want to figure out how to do for a living. In terms of vocation, I wanted to figure out ways to teach those sports psychology skills and to help people really grow. I just I got to uh, bump into one of my former high school athletes who was preparing for his 
first professional MMA fight and just talked to him uh, and said, hey, do you want to work through the sports psychology stuff I've been learning in my master's program? And we started, we started pretty much then. I spent about seven months going through every single intervention in the book, really trying to expand his abilities and his capacity as a performer. And that just built into working with more and more MMA fighters as time went on. I decided after about, after working in the field for two years, um, I finished my master's degree. I got a, became a certified mental performance coach with the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. Um, I've allowed that credential to since expire, but I, I was able to work for a while there and realized I wanted deeper skills. So I went back and got my doctorate in performance and sports psychology at the University of Western States. It's an online program. And for my dissertation, I studied how the expert MMA fighters that I was working with, I actually went in and studied how do some of them become elite and what holds the others back. And what I really found is that the ones who become elite, they they adopt the lessons that the currently elite fighters at the gym already learned. And so they're doing things like, uh, for instance, when I was there, Khabib Nurmagomedov was uh, beginning his, his campaign into the UFC championship. And a lot of the fighters realized that he was going to be one of the best ever. And so they just started mimicking his practice habits when they started adopting the kind of the whys behind his practice habits, the what he was intentionally trying to do with all that extra work, they started reaching those elite levels themselves. And so what I found is really what you need to do if you want to move, separate yourself as an expert into those even higher levels, even then you still need models to follow. You still need other lessons to learn from and guides to follow to help you move into that higher level. And uh, ever since I've been using that knowledge to help business people, uh, now I'm working with juniors and adults on the Free Ride World Tour, uh, helping them as well, and still working in MMA. So you have um, you said you were in the Bay Area. What part of the Bay Area were you in? I was living in Pacifica and AK is centered in San Jose, California. So I was working mainly down in San Jose and then with a handful of people up in San Francisco as well. And then I've worked with uh, some biotech executives in South San Francisco and other tech executives in the San Jose area, as well as a few people out here in Utah. So when did you move out to, out to Utah and start with your practice out here? Yeah, so we moved out here in 2018. And at that time, I was still working. So that my my partner, she um, she got recruited by one of the companies out here to take a high executive role. So we left the Bay Area for that. And I continued to work with my fighters remotely for the first couple of years. Uh, COVID put a real uh, hamper into that whole, into a lot of things. Um, at the more regional level, so everybody outside of the UFC, for them, the competitions really, the way that promoters make money off of competitions is through gate fees. Uh, unfortunately, COVID made gate fees kind of impossible to have. And that 
eliminated most of the opportunities for a lot of the fighters I was supporting. And so then it became really helping fighters through the transition and to deal with that portion of time, uh, helping them kind of maintain their focus and their training with the idea that the pandemic will pass eventually and they will be uh, fights again. And so it was keeping them focused, keeping them driven, keeping, keeping them, uh, you know, keeping them in a growth mindset, as well as, you know, starting to help them figure out how to find other sources for revenue, uh, helping them find ways to better problem solve with some of the issues that they faced um, with, with essentially their career disappearing during the pandemic. Uh, once the pandemic started to lift, then I began working out here a lot more. So I really started my practice out here in August of last year. And uh, up until then was, was still staying pretty exclusively with just the MMA fighters. Dr. Larson, Shane actually works a lot with the youth sports and, you know, up when we have kids that our own personal kids that are youth sports all the way up to high school and, you know, on. And one thing that we have known, you work a lot probably with motivating these kids and um, these, these adults when they're in, when they're, when they're in their training and it can sometimes be really grueling when they're in their training to be able to find that motivation. How do you help people with this motivation? Because we know, like we've talked about one of our sons, he's a junior right now in high school. And, you know, that motivation, like we don't know how it was implanted within him, but he has really high motivation to be able to become better. How do you help these people to be able to find that motivation to become better? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. So one of the, uh, one of the big areas of study in the field of kinesiology is actually human motivation and human motivation around human movement. One of the theories that we use a lot in kinesiology is self-determination theory. And so that basically says that motivation comes in a range from being really external um, you're kind of doing this because you're forced to, you have no option to a completely internalized version of motivation, which is you're doing this purely because it is identity. So just like uh, the reason you wake up in the morning, the way you do, uh, that's really that in that internalized version of motivation where you just, you do this activity because it is, it represents who you are. I work with, youth athletes to help them figure out how to solve the, for the issues that are, that are interrupting them being able to feel truly internally motivated. Um, we call it intrinsically motivated. And so a few of the things that really cause that to go away, one is they lose their idea of autonomy. Um, they don't feel like they have choice. I imagine if you watch most youth practices, as an outside bystander, you notice there is a lot of opportunity for choice in a lot of the practices and a lot of the youth activities. Um, a lot of the, the youth programs have realized how important that is to preserve for the kids and so they, uh, for, for youth athletes. And so it's really built in. It's helping them reconnect to that and learning how to exert their autonomy there. So there's a few things that, that will start to make people feel like they're more controlled as opposed to having choice in it. 
And that's really that autonomy first. The other is feeling related. So they might just be having trouble uh, socially feeling connected with the other players in their team. And then there's competency and they might be not really looking at the evidence that their practice is making them get better. And so it's really working with them individually, helping them understand where is your, where are your feelings of practice starting to interfere with your desire to be at practice? And how do we start finding proactive ways to address that? Um, Sometimes we use visualization as one of the big tools. One of the ways that I've, one of the things I found working with MMA fighters is that, and, and as you guys probably know with your, with your, your, with the youth sport, you can only get so many physical reps in, in a day, uh, the body fatigues and your skill level starts to decrease. And then you start practicing, doing things the wrong way. Also just, uh, Logistic wise, you can only have a team together for so long before everybody starts to have other things that they need to go attend to, uh, especially when it's recreational or youth sport versus professional sport. Uh, you know, you need to go out and do your commerce elsewhere. And so what the visualization does is it helps the, it helps the athletes. I, I use it in MMA a lot to help the athletes get virtual reps in so that they could feel their skill level increasing at a little bit faster pace. And that usually, when, when you start getting better at something, it definitely is a motivating factor, that competency that you feel. That's something that just is a natural human drive. So if I can help them start to feel that again, that usually gets the motivation tank to fill up even higher. I mean, there's definitely personality involved there because there's just some kids that are just born motivated and, and go for it. There's other kids that have all the talent in the world and have no motivation. And then there's others that eventually kind of figure out, oh, okay, I need to work hard as well because I'm talented, but I need to work hard too. How much is it is just people's innate and personalities in terms of how they do things? Yeah, so my personal belief is that Personality is is a portion of who you are, but not um, personality is more a, a, a pattern of habits, and we can we can go in and modify that. In terms of helping them become more motivated, though, it really I stick with the theories because the theories tell you here's are the things that you can actually uh, manipulate as an outside actor, as somebody who's not the actual person themselves, and so that's where. That's where having a doctorate really comes in handy is, is that deep knowledge of the various motivational theories, as well as the deep knowledge of skill acquisition theories, as well as uh, deep knowledge of, of various uh, psychological performance theories. You're able to, to mix a lot of things in and get a, get a bigger picture of that athlete to really understand uh, rarely is it one thing going on. Usually it's a multiple, it, it's multiple things that are causing an individual to, to really hold themselves back to try to live small or to feel somehow um, uninvited or, or not belonging to the environment. Uh, a lot of that's their perception and perspective. And so it's figuring out for their individual perspective, what are, mental skill tools that we can use to help them adopt a perspective that's going to allow them to thrive better in that sport. And so, you know, then it goes back to, 
are you talking to your, are, are you arriving at sport and are you, are you arriving to your practice and are you looking for bad looks from other kids? Are you trying to find those faces that tell you that nobody wants you here? Uh, if that's the case, you're going to find that even if they don't exist, you're going to see that and find that. And so then it's, how do we start changing that dialogue? How do we get you to, to recognize, Hey, yeah, your teammates actually really like you and you actually like them too. And it's actually fun to be at practice with your teammates. And actually it, it always has been fun to be at practice with your teammates, but a few months ago something occurred and we just need to work through that. Um, I, I found that to be more the case than it being a, a rigid, like, Oh, you're born to be a football player and you clearly were not born to be a football player. So it's usually connecting them back to their passion. What are some tools that our audience can take away that you have found to be able to kind of quickly help somebody look at their experience differently? Yeah, so the first thing to do is really to get them to describe it and get them to describe it clearly to you. I find that the majority of the clients that I help, a lot of that help just comes from me being willing to sit and listen quietly as they describe what's going on and then to ask for clarification on areas that just don't make sense to me. I don't question whether their reality is real or not. I just ask for more details. And as they give the details, they, they'll they honestly find the truth themselves and realize, oh, maybe, maybe this is starting to be a story in my head. So if you're going to practice and, you're, and your kid is uh, telling you, I don't want to go today, the coach is going to yell at me or... Ah, I'm having trouble with this teammate and I want to see him. Ask them, ask them about it. Have them explain it. Have them paint the full picture for you. Uh, tr- allow yourself to step back and not paint, not add any paint to their painting. Really let them tell you the whole picture and then see what happens next. Most of the time when they, when somebody tries to actually describe what's going on inside their head to somebody else, uh, that exposure all of a sudden, puts them into a reality check and can help things pretty quick. So that's one of the things I would say to do. The other is direct their attention to what's positive. So if they're, if you're heading to practice and they're upset about things or they're negative the whole time through, just keep, just keep asking them. Could you tell me one thing that might be fun about today? Can you tell me, something you do like about whatever the sport is, say it's soccer. Can you tell me something you do like about soccer? Uh, Is the air going to be nice today? Whatever it is, try to get them to acknowledge something positive on the day as well. So that, so that they have balance. It's, um, it's generally, so attention doesn't work by trying to turn yourself away from something. If I say, don't think about an elephant, I am sure an elephant is in your head right now, even though I started with don't think about it. <laughs> and so try to get them, try to direct them what they should think about. Hey, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful day out. Aren't you excited to be out to just be outside at least? And it could be a grumbling of uh, sort of, and then you can, and then you show up and maybe you know that one of their friends is going to be there and that they are usually excited to see that friend. And so you just mentioned that, Hey, are you going to be happy to see so-and-so today? 
um, things that can direct their attention to why they want to be there as opposed to trying to tell them as opposed to trying to counter their reasons for why they don't want to be there, because then you're just keeping their focus on that. So try to get their focus to something that they're looking forward to. Try to get them to tell you what that is. Do you work a lot with um, like youth youth as in terms of like kids that are like 10, 11 to 17 kind of thing? Or are you more in more of the adult age group? Because of the, the decade I had working in high school, I, I work with uh I try to keep my youth level down to 12 and up uh, just because I think below that starts. I know from my teacher training that uh, to teach elementary school is a different skill set than teaching high school. So I, at the really low level, at the youth level, I just, I, I stay away from that level because I think, um, and I think at that level, performance psychology is probably not quite appropriate yet. Uh, there's probably other, you know, it's probably better to have them more in a counseling psychology if uh, they're struggling at that young of an age. Um, not that I couldn't help, it's just that's not really an age group I've worked with. Um, although I know for figure skating and gymnastics, um, yeah, that's the, the elite level is already there at 10. And so I get that. And, and I'm not too sure what it'd be like to work with an elite 10-year-old. But uh, yeah, I think... I think there's probably more complexity there in all honesty, because uh, even though a younger mind sometimes can be viewed as simpler, it's uh, when you throw on an elite an elite performance level at that age, uh, I would say it's far more complex how that interaction works than it would for an adult. Well, part of that problem is also parents' expectations, I think, too. Like in when I coach um, kids, the first thing I do in my parent meeting is just tell them, hey, Every kid is different. And if you've had other kids that have been stars, doesn't mean this kid's going to be a star because every kid is different. And like I have used the example of one of the, when I have a kid right now that I coached, I was his first football coach. He's actually going to be drafted this year in the NFL, probably in the second or third round. And yet when he came to my practice in the beginning of football, this was his first experience with tackle football, he would hide in the car. He would run and hide somewhere because he just was so scared and didn't want to be there, right? And was just nervous. And I'd have to go talk to him, tell him how I needed him on my team and all these kinds of things. And yet now he's, you know, going to be in the NFL. So kids kind of change, obviously, but even with our own kids, like we had kids that started out from day one and they were stars on the team. And we had other kids that took a couple of years before they even really got into it, right? So probably with the small youth, I think managing parents' expectations on their kids is a huge thing, which probably you don't want to deal with. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, then it becomes more counseling and, and family therapy at that point. Uh, but I think that, you know, the one thing I always tell parents is, and, and I use uh, I use the whole theory based around roles. And so we know that high-functioning teams, uh, that the most, the teams that do the best, that have the best outcomes and the outcomes of the individuals are the best are teams that have really well-defined roles. In youth sport, the parent role is the provider of unconditional love. And as a parent, if you provide that, there's really not much else you need to provide your kid as a youth sport parent because the coaches are, are there to provide the skill and the direction. The teammates are there to provide the, support, the, the additional support and additional motivation. And then you as a parent, yeah, a lot of what you're doing is, is being an Uber driver, but you also 
are really their main source of unconditional love and support. And that really, if we, if we go into the athlete identity, whole field of research, the more emotionally supported you feel at home, the higher your performance is going to be on the field. It just, um, it gives you more mental energy, which then means that you're able to go further longer uh, than, than those with less mental energy with those with a, with a harder home situation. So how are you different than with counseling? Yeah. So the counseling is really looking back and going deep into your past and trying to resolve trauma and trying to resolve um, other types of, of issues that you've experienced and really trying to address those and look at those. And, and kind of, uh, I think of it as if you were to take, if you were to take clothing apart and re-sew it, that's, that's kind of more what therapy does. What I do in the performance and coaching world is here's you right now. And you want your attention to improve so you can reach the goals that you want to reach with the intentions and attitudes that you want. And so I'm working on those areas where it's more, uh, how do we grow you from who you are to who you want to become? So I work more on vision growth side, uh, whereas therapy is more in the resolution of trauma resolution of, of, um, hurtful experience and, and resolving pain and, and injury. That's where I see I'm different. And I actually work with a bunch of therapists. So briefly kind of share with us some of your experiences. What, one of my favorite experiences, I have uh, one of the athletes I worked with in MMA. He actually approached me before his final amateur fight. And he said, hey, Toby, how do we work together? And the, with pro athletes, I, I have a structured uh, program, especially with MMA, where it's a percentage base um, off of their purse. So that's how we were able to work out. That's how I was able to work with the, the, the MMA fighters that were coming up financially. But then um, in terms of our work, it was really cool. So we started out working on his self-talk, working on, on how he uh, used his inner dialogue to start focusing and then we, I got him to get into visualization and getting him to start taking mental reps and increasing the amount of practice he's able to get done in a day for that. Uh, that was kind of the first year of working together was a lot of focusing on that because it was a long career and his goal was to make the UFC. Uh, we had quite a bit of time to work. So I wanted to make sure every lesson was really, really sunk. Uh, I also really got to understand who he is in terms of his decision-making process. And so various choices would come up in life and I'd be able to help him kind of understand who he is there. But then as we kept going, we kept increasing the number of mental skills that we worked on, um, kind of exhausted those. And then it really was helping him design better practices and helping him get more out of, out of his practice to increase his uh, the level of his growth so that we could get to the UFC as soon as possible. We uh, it was pretty cool. We got to be on several uh, televised fights. So first, it started out with uh, a group called LFA, 
Then we fought for Bellator. Then we fought for Combate Americas. And then we finally got the call to the UFC. And I got to corner him both in Vegas uh, for an uh, international fight week fight. Uh, we were on the, on the uh, first undercard for that. And then I also got to go with him out to Copenhagen for a fight out there to be his corner. And there we were, uh, we were on the main card and that was, that was pretty exciting. It was, uh, it was a lot of work to get to that level. And it just, to me, it showed how the persistence and consistency pay off big time over a long period of time. As you described with your football player, uh, getting to see somebody from their amateur into that elite pro level, getting to work with somebody and help them, help them go through all those lessons. That, that was definitely one of the highlights. Uh, I've also had some really cool moments where just I get called in for a fight camp and the athlete just has some sort of glitch in their, in, in their strategy or in their, uh, in their technique. And with those athletes, uh, depending on who it was, one, it was visualization that we really just started digging into uh, a bit more and helped him, helped him repattern his kind of how he behaved in his strategy. And uh, what was really cool was, uh, so we were working on, one of the things we we're working on was his kind of um, his reaction when he was under deep stress was, was not, not the best and wasn't always going to turn to a good outcome for him. So we started working on changing that pattern on how he did that and really started kind of programming a bit deeper with the, uh, with the visualization. Uh, so his next fight after we're working on that, he got, he got knocked out briefly in the second round. Um, just as it happens, just that his opponent found a spot, found an opening, caught him on the chin. He drops down and followed what he had told me he was going to do if he ever got in that situation and was able to uh, basically semi-unconscious wrap up his opponent, survive the remainder of the round, and then came back and won in the third round. And uh, that was a really cool one. And that was really just, just using the simple skill of visualization, but we, uh, but we did it. We kept working at it and kept at it and really were able to groove in that, that deep reaction that I needed. That was a real highlight. One of the things that um, most of the high schools, even, you know, all the colleges, it seems like they've all kind of started doing this sports psychology thing. Like even my son's <clears throat> wrestling team this year, they had a guy come in and would talk with them a little bit on the sports psychology and stuff. So it's getting to be really more of a, mainstream. Um, a mainstream thing that people are starting to use, you know, how, how they can enhance and, and it's not just sports, but it's like for all kinds of things. And so that's really cool to see. But when would you say is the, is the key point of, you know what, this is when a, an athlete probably needs to start doing some outside stuff versus just doing what they're doing inside. Kind of just in a nutshell, what would you say? I think try try using the internet based uh, you know uh, lessons first. If you can if you can use YouTube to learn visualization and apply it well for your sport, that's fantastic. Say with that. I think when it 
when you start to feel like the complexity of this of what you're struggling with seems greater than just one issue that's when you should really start bringing in outside expertise because now the problem solving is a bit more complex and having somebody who's well trained is going to be a huge benefit um and then obviously the the more educated they are the more experienced they are that's just going to be even better for you that would be my advice is uh have you tried have you tried yourself first and if you have and you're not satisfied with that then definitely seek somebody else because good performance coaches people that are that are degreed that have gone through uh the deeper training there's a lot that we can do to help help performers out there's been a lot of science and a lot of research that's been done and so um in the 80s we were okay 2020s uh 40 years since then the the level of knowledge that's been created is is massive so where can people find you at yeah so my uh have my website is fitmindtraining.com I work with Aspen Valley Wellness, and we are aspen-valley.org. On Instagram, I am at fitmindtraining. On LinkedIn, I'm Toby Larson, EDDMS, and based out of Salt Lake City. And on TikTok, I am at Dr. Mojovac. So basically, you can find you almost on all of your platforms. So we want to just tell you, thank you for coming on today. Absolutely. You know, one of the things is that, and since we're going to be wrapping up here is that, you know, that all often we think that sports is all about physical, but really that's only half of it. And most of the, most of the time we forget about the brain part and how important it is to be able to bring both of those together. And when you bring both of those together that is when you can have your best success with whatever you're doing in life. And I know that you focus more on sports, but it's so true. We just think that it's all physical, but it's also mental too. So thank you for coming on today and sharing so much knowledge with us. And also those tips that you've given our audience that they can start working on those and just become better in everything that they do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. The more knowledge you have, the more you will be empowered to make the changes in your life. And because of this, your life will be elevated. Your health journey is between you and your doctor. This podcast is not meant to diagnose or treat any conditions. However, if your current health care provider is not meeting your health care goals, it is time to take control of your health. If you know anyone who can benefit from our podcast, please like, leave a review, and don't forget to share it with your family and friends. Together, let's take back our health.